What is science telling us about what works in the classroom and what doesn't work? We're going to talk about that. We're going to lay another learning term to rest. Jake, bring on the seagulls. It's time for the Learning Geeks podcast. So through the magic of radio, we are here again live. It's not because it's two weeks later and we're back together again. It's because we're actually recording this after we did the last one. (laughs) So, you know, hey, here's a little peek behind the scenes. We're doing two in a row here. But the good news is that we get to be here live and see each other face to face. Well, and the funny thing is, I noticed that when this music starts up, that all of our heads start bobbing. Start bobbing. Which is it something is, I didn't is. notice I when we were doing, you know, when we did the podcast <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. remote, right? You know, the other funny thing about this is, usually when I do the podcast, I'm I'm in my pajamas. I just oh, am, because yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in my house, and yeah, yeah, yeah. So today I had to get dressed, and I put on a shirt. It's the last shirt I had from packing for this trip. And I look in the mirror, and I see two giant iron marks. <laughs> I'm like, what is that? It's shaped exactly like Bob an iron. Bob being the Iron Man. And I, <laughs> I was like, oh, no, what am I, I going to do? So fortunately, I had another shirt to put on for you guys today. Well, that's good. But I could have brought one from you. Oh, it would have been okay. I you say you come to the office it. in a T-shirt. And yeah, but it's good to see you guys here live. It's good no, it's to good. good. face-to-face. It's fun to actually do this live because usually when uh, – I probably have either my workout clothes or my PJ still on, even at that time. TMI. I, it's okay. <laughs> and then um, I, my room, I do it in my office, and I, I put this giant uh, blanket behind me to block the sound. Sure. So yeah. I feel completely claustrophobic after the 30 minutes or so when we're doing it. Well, just to get this out there, I uh, usually have a, a nice shirt and a bow tie on when we do these things. <laughs> just like in your new cartoon. Just, uh, like in my new cartoon. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And by the way, I, my head is not quite as volcanic as it is in the cartoon, but uh, you know, I, it's a perception he, of your son. He, yeah, he drew yeah. that. And I was like, you know, I, I said, don't make Jake's head as volcanic. And he said, that's not Jake, that's you. <laughs> and then I looked at myself in the mirror. I was like, oh, I do kind of have a little bit of a slopey head oh well whatever hey let's dive in let's, let's dive yeah, in let's go. so i led with what's working in the classroom and what's not and here's a little bit of the story behind that we have been working with a good friend now and a partner uh, by the name of paul zach dr paul zach he's a neuroscientist out of claremont graduate college graduate university one of the two it's at claremont california Uh, And he has a company called Immersion Neuroscience, and they have a product. I'm not going to go too much into the detail about how this works. A lot for me is like the Arthur C. C. Clarke quote about, you know, significantly advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. But Paul has sensors. They're essentially like fitness bands. You strap it on somebody's arm, and then you can tell how immersed they are in whatever they are experiencing in the moment in real time. So we've been partnering with Paul. We've got a few sets of these sensors, and we've started setting them up in some of our learning programs and some of our big classroom events and seeing what's working and what's not. And it's really cool because it collects all the data, and you actually can kind of sit in the back of the room on the laptop that's amalgamating all this data from all the different sensors of the participants in the room, and you can see a real-time bar chart Uh, listing out people's immersion. You can see it spike and you can see it drop. And so what I wanted to talk about today were some of the early things that I'm noticing with this. Now, 
Yeah, go ahead, Dan. I was going to say, before you get into the findings, I think one of the things that's really cool about it, and, you know, the whole area of brain science is, has evolved so much, because it used to be, you know, years and years ago, the only way that they understood anything about the brain was by actually cutting into the brain, right? Cutting mm-hmm. it open and separating things. Which usually is hard when you try to use those it's brains very again. hard, yeah. So yeah. very invasive. Very invasive, <laughs> right. And then with the development of, you know, the, the electroencephalogram and some of the other tools, it's become much less invasive, and and for a long while that was kind of the standard, right? And that's how we know how certain parts of the brains have been activated and things like that. Um, now, with with uh, with simpler EEG devices and um, and things like what Paul is developing, uh, it, it it's much less invasive, and it, it just opens up a whole new world of analyzing the way people learn. And, you know, just one more thing, and then I'll toss it back to you for some of the findings. But uh, some of the research that I've been doing is um, is what will learning look like in, in two to five years. And I shared some of the findings with you guys. But one of the things that one of the neuroscientists we talked with said was that um, while we know a lot about how the brain learns, we only know about half of what there is yet to learn. I mean, that was a speculation on his part, but, you know, from his vantage point, there's still a ton to learn. And I think it's going to be through some of these less invasive approaches that we're going to figure those things out. And I'm excited about the idea of being a stand-up trainer and having like a dashboard on an iPad that can tell me. Why not on your, displayed on your uh, AR contact lenses or your AR device? There you go. So, right. oh, that would be really cool. Yeah. So what if I could look out in an audience. And see who is and who is not immersed. I mm-hmm. get, right. And it's like I get a little tag over, the, like a little red warning sign over people who are in a big smiley face it, over people who are really engaged. It's like a video game, basically. You're looking at an overlay of what your characters are, are, it is. are experiencing. Well, yeah. specifically, it's like Theme Park Tycoon, right? Like Roller Coaster <laughs> oh, Tycoon. Yeah, because oh. yeah. you can see all the happy, in the, or, yeah. or Sims, right? You can yeah. see the happiness and the sad. Wow. And that brought me back. Wow, change, changing the dynamics of the classroom. Holy yeah, right. Cow. That's fantastic. All right, so, but right now. So what did you find, Bob? Yeah, right now <laughs> we're starting to get discover? data. So these are some of the things that I'm noticing. So here's number one, is introductions are awful. And this is something I've been saying for... What do you mean by that? Well, this is what I mean, is at the beginning of many learning programs, and this really tends to happen at ones where you've got like 20 or 30 people in a room, it's a tradition to say, let's go around and introduce ourselves. And somebody gets up and says, hi, I'm Luke Skywalker, and I'm from here, and this is what and I've I done. And I died blah, in the blah, last blah, blah, episode. Blah, 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 yeah, yeah. Don't stop Spoiler whining about alert. it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but just giving their life history and, you know, and all of that. And sometimes doing these can take, if every person takes a minute and it's 20 to 30 people, now all of a sudden you've burned a half hour of the program. Oh my goodness, we've gone so far into the agenda, we're going to have to not teach something. (laughs) Right. And so I have kind of never liked these. I've always kind of tried to discourage them, but it's a hard habit to break. People do it all the time. Well, the science that we're seeing is showing me this is what happens when introductions like that take place is when somebody says their name, so we're monitoring everybody in the room, right? Like the bar chart I'm getting is the average of everybody in the room. So somebody says, hi, I'm Bob Gerard, and immersion peaks up. So at the mention of the name, it peaks. But then as soon as they start getting into their history, it just drops and it plummets. 
until the next time somebody says their name. So in general, aside from the, hi, I am this person, nobody really seems to be engaged in hearing the life story. And part of the premise behind that is, right, you want people to get to know each other so they can network. And uh, But what, what the neuroscience is showing is that just give the names and let the networking take place in some other venue, right? Right. Send them out to a break. Let them talk. Yeah. And do you need to know everybody right at that? There's, there's other opportunities. <laughs> That's a great question. Right? There's other opportunities to get to know each other other sure. than hopefully remembering all the names. You right. Know, yeah, exactly. I can I could see your name and then I can have a conversation with you in some way. Or if, the, if this is a live event or some type of event where people are together and you have a smaller group setting, and you can actually interact and talk with those individuals and get to know their name and remember their name. Because I guarantee it, I'm not going to remember all of them at all. Which is a trick, probably, right? Yeah. 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 Well, and if you engage in an activity right away, you're going to start interacting with these people. And, oh, what's your name? Oh, where do you work? You'll exactly. have those conversations as a natural part of an activity. Right. Well, the only thing that I think that could come out during one of those introductory, here's my resume, here's my CV discussions, is if somebody says something that I latch onto because mm -hmm. I need to talk to somebody who yeah. has done that, it meets an immediate need, then I can target that person and go grab them at the break. But there's other ways you can right. do that. Yeah. And you could do it in a way that's not doesn't require everyone to do it at the same time. I mean, you could mm -hmm. do a simple, do a post. Oh, we did this one activity, I can't remember where we did it at, but. Um, uh, the Luma Institute, that's right, where we just we drew our picture of our, ourselves, a funny picture, and then we wrote one or two things, and we posted on the board, and we let it go. Mm -hmm. And anybody could go up there and see it, and it was a good way to figure out, oh, that person's in this or that person likes that. I might have a conversation with them later. So it's up to me to find them, but it doesn't take any time right. to do it during it. And people would come up to me and say, why does your head look like a volcano? Exactly. And I could say, because I'm about to blow my top. Or why am I wearing a tie? Yeah, where's my bow tie? Yeah. <laughs> but you, know, you could also, with the contact lenses that we were talking about earlier, you could have interesting points about that person floating above their head in augmented reality. And now it's not just like, like Roller Coaster Tycoon, it's like World of Warcraft, mm -hmm. right? You can get the essential information floating over their head and then you could somehow right click on that and dive into their story or something like that. Just a quick side note, you know, we did mention those uh, AR contact lenses. Yeah. I mean, the reality is those are being developed. Those are coming, I those know. Those are coming, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's not something we just made up, yeah. although it would be cool if we did. Yeah. <laughs> I wanna have them right now. So, you, so your Apple Watch can tell you how fast you're going. Yes, exactly. <laughs> what do you mean by that? <laughs> your pace is oh, well, faster that's totally than it. yesterday. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that'd be good for like a facilitator. Yeah, it would be great. It would be great. Okay, so that's finding number one. Finding number two is uh, there's kind of two components to this from a little bit of a story. Um, so here's the story: is at one of the events we brought in a key leader for the company who crushed it, was phenomenal, fantastic, super engaging, uh, just on top of their game. And we noticed that immersion was really low during this topic, which made me scratch my head a lot because I knew it wasn't because of the performance of this leader. They did fantastic. So I started thinking about what are some other reasons why this might have happened. And I have two theories around this. The first one is there was a question and answer session 
during that presentation. And a lot of the questions that were coming up for this leader, you could tell, and now I'm intuiting this, right, as a listener, but my intuition was that the questions weren't really being asked out of genuine curiosity or to learn something. It was the questioner trying to make themselves look good, trying to make themselves look smart, probably be recognized by this leader. And when these type of questions came, immersion just dropped, just plummeted. So I don't know exactly what we can do to prevent that type of thing. That's probably just a human nature. Other than we might want to think that when we do questions and answers, particularly if we have kind of high-profile luminary speakers, that that might happen. And to watch for that and try to work around it or get off of those topics as quickly as we can. So I have a couple of thoughts on that. So the first one was that, you know, you, you thought the leader was super engaging and, and this person may have been, did their part, right? They, they shared good stories. The thing is, is that you thought it was engaging. Yeah, but I know. Right. So, no, but, <laughs> but, but that, 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 that's my, no, no, no. But right. That's my point though, is that everybody has a different interpretation of what engaging is to them because it can they find it rele- relevant for them now granted i don't know if that was really the case it could have been some other factors but um when we do either panel sessions or you know when people think about bringing leaders in which is a very common thing what we do in keynotes and, and uh, conferences um can people relate to that, that that conversation which could link directly to relevancy and then engagement and then with the um the Q&A thing is, is also interesting is because that if, if the person asked the right question or asked a better way, it still is, it does the, the, is it relatable to that other, those other people, right. that question? Right. So I could possibly dip out. But again, if you're a really good learner, hopefully you're, you're trying to take in as much as you can. You're taking advantage of every opportunity. But again, most people don't do that. Um, I'm not saying those are just my initial reactions when I hear that. Well, you know what, Jake, that's, Actually, based on what you said, I'm going to segue to my third finding, mm-hmm. and then I'm going to come back to 2B, right? Because I or said there were two, two and two, right? just two and three. Okay, yeah. so, so here's the third finding. This is one that was surprising, that I was kind of disappointed in, but I've been noticing it, is when people in a classroom setting start telling stories, I expect that immersion is going to peak because we know that stories are, the, I, I think, the best way, a lot of people say the great way, to convey content. But we notice that sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes during a story, immersion actually drops. So then I started looking mm. for what, you know, what are the patterns there? When, does, when do I think that immersion drops? And here's my theory on this one that I'm going to keep my eye out on, is if it's an eye-focused story, in other words, it's kind of like the last point I made, the point of the person telling the story is not so much to help the people who is listening to it. It's more for their own self-satisfaction. They're telling a story so that they can relive it or they can make themselves look good or whatever. Then immersion drops. But if it's a you-focused story, then immersion peaks because the listener is relating to that. They can put themselves in their shoes, right? So that doesn't mean that when I tell a story, especially if it's like a war story or a story from my experience, that I shouldn't do that because people aren't going to be immersed. I just need to tell that story in a way that it's really clear why I'm telling that story and that it's for the benefit of the listener and help the listener get into that mode. 
right? So it's like, what do you do when a senior leader calls you and says, I know I need a three-day course when you as a learning professional know that it's probably not a three-day course and it's probably something else. Here's what happened to me in that situation, right? So if I frame up a story like that, you're going to pay a lot more attention and be more engaged because my focus on telling it is on helping you with your challenge as opposed to making myself look good or sunny. Yeah, and so I, I was highlighting relatable. Mm-hmm. Um, and it made me think of, we get this all the time, whether or not it's in, you know, corporate education or if it's you know talking with my wife in elementary education they always talk about how kids and people have that are growing up now love you know they love youtube people they love the the stars on youtube the The creepy kids videos on youtube no no not those those are those are creepy yeah but i mean the 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 people that are the youtube quote-unquote stars yeah and i shouldn't say quote-unquote stars because they are stars actually a lot of them are um but what what people gravitate towards is the related like how relatable they are they feel uh, more like either more like them but they're they're also sharing stories and sharing things that they find interesting and that they're they're curious about so i think going back to a panel discussion or a typical q and a it's it's kind of half and half you don't know it could be and maybe it is a session that people really did voluntarily come to that they went there for a reason but for a a common learning event would say, hey, we have this keynote speaker here or we have this individual here. You may not care. Right. But, but again, because you're, you're, trying, you're talking to masses that they're just there for the general conference, but maybe not necessarily that individual. Yeah. How many times have you guys been to a conference where you go into a panel th- because the description is really good and you sit down and after five minutes you kind of go like, okay, I need to plan B. Yes. Right. I mean, right. it happens all the time, right? Yeah. And, and, but again, somebody could have found that extremely relatable. Somebody else might have. Someone else might have. Not me. (laughs) But going back to YouTube, I think that you have the control to pick the person and the stories that you want to hear, and then it's very easy to hit stop or go to another, you know, voice, and then eventually gravitate towards them. That's true, and dial in on the ones that really impact you and that you're addicted to. Exactly. Yeah, I'm totally addicted to a YouTube show right now. I don't know if I've told you guys about this, but it's called the Movie Trivia Showdown. Have I told you about this at all? No. So Movie Trivia Schmodown is a, it's a movie trivia contest, a competition. But what these folks have done is they've built kind of a WWE wrestling vibe <laughs> around the movie trivia. So all of the competitors are characters. They've got good guys and bad guys, and there's rivalries, and there's factions, and they trash talk each other before and after. When the actual trivia contest happens, it's legit. It's all straight up, and they're actually competing. But then before and after they do the interviews and it feels like worldwide wrestling and it's (laughs) i'm totally addicted to it it's silly we actually went to see it live last saturday night they did a live show that's hilarious and it was fantastic so it's 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 odd but it's Uh, you could i could see you liking it jake i probably would yeah because it's actually it's movie trivia schmodown Yeah, yeah. I have to look that up. You know, and it's it's something that our listeners should at least watch one or two because I, I've gotten ideas. It's just like, wow, these guys took – talk about a chocolate and peanut butter thing, right? Like they took two things that did not sound like they would fit and smashed them together, and it's something that works for a lot of people. So, so yeah. I think that just the overall learning point, I guess, to everybody is that when you think about bringing in someone else in, 
or having someone else share stories is just to be aware that we live in a day and age where it's very easy to pick on demand what we want to look at, what we want to see, what we want to hear, and that um, it does link a lot to, again, are people relatable? And not to say that you couldn't bring someone in and they can't be relatable to everyone. They, They can be, but we can't rely on people just coming in to share a story just because of their status. We have to help people engage with everybody else in some way, in some capacity. So let me go on to observation 2B, okay. going back to that leader coming in, because I think this probably had an even bigger effect on the overall immersion, and that was that this session happened over lunch. So not only did it happen over lunch, mm. but there really were no breaks during the morning. Started, I don't remember exactly the time, but say 8 or 9, and went straight through And then it's like, hey, we happen to have this leader here. We're going to do a session over lunch with them presenting. So it was not planned as part of the agenda. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. And that happens all the time. That happens all the time. So and so is here, or we're running long. Let's trim, you know, let's trim lunch to ten minutes instead of an hour. And so, you know, it was a relatively small room. They had a buffet set up in the back. So when the session was starting. People are actually in the buffet line and getting their food, and then they brought it back to the table. I mean, people got their food in like five minutes. But they were trying to eat and trying to relax, and I'm guessing trying to cope with all of the nagging thoughts about what's happening back in the office that I was going to check on during lunch, right? right, That stops engagement. Or or just can I think about, since I didn't have a break, can I actually just think about what I was learning or starting to learn throughout the day? I haven't had any time to actually have some white space to reflect and make sense of it all. Right. So this is getting back to durable learning principles, right? Oh, absolutely. Exactly. And we know as learning designers how hard it is. I, I find in my experience, I can design a learning program and I can go into it and say, we're going to make sure that doesn't happen. We're going to build in a lot of white space. We're going to build in time for reflection. And then things happen. And lots of times people show up and they want to talk and things go long. It's really hard. So just the importance of preserving that time, right, of make, making it very clear that that is part of the learning experience. You have to build that in or it's not worth it. It doesn't work. You might be talking at people, but you're not talking with them and they're not processing. Yeah, protect it. I mean, that, that's one of our design principles is just protect any breaks and foster the, so it can foster either reflection or even discussion beyond that, uh, which is also part of reflection. And um, But again, yeah, think of that as, as, as gold, really. You, you are designing that time for processing and learning, which is just as important as anything else that, that you design in. So those are some of the early findings that are coming from this project, and it's probably completely scientifically irresponsible for me to share them like this because we don't have enough data or proof of it, but it's just things that I'm noticing, and it's things that I'm going to keep an eye on. Starts a conversation. Yeah, 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 and and you'll hear more about this. It it ties back to the comment, right, from the interviewee about, uh, from the brain side, that there's a lot more to learn about how the brain learns. And this is this is experimental. And That's this, right. this may bear some interesting fruit. Uh, if nothing else, it'll bear some interesting discussions. That's and, right. And you already have a couple things that you're going to test now because of that, because you're trying to test your hypo- new hypothesis that you have. Absolutely. So stay tuned to the space. So speaking of we only know 50% of how the brain works, dun, I dun, hear, dun. Dana, that you know we only use 10% of our brains and 90% <laughs> of them are unused. 
I, I all, we're, we're all smiling at each other. We know that that's a myth. And see, this is a pretty good segue because we got an email from our patron, St. Allison Horn. We did. St. Allison. And she asked us to lay another learning term to rest, which is almost as bad of a myth as the we only use 10% of our brains myth. And that is the myth about learning style. So Dana, uh, you know, we, we should have some like funeral home music or something for this. <laughs> So Dana, so Dana I'm, we're going to ask you to, yeah. you know, put on the robes and, and officiate at this service. For... So, yeah. So, so let me just uh, give a little bit of background. There's a lot of debate over learning styles, right? And, and the essence, uh, the, the, the common wisdom that's really popular is that people are kinesthetic learners, they're auditory learners, or they are, you guys know what the third one is? Visual. Visual. Perfect. Um, and so there's lots of debate. In fact, there are uh, there was a research study that was done a while back, and they found that there are over 70 distinct learning style theories. Wow. Wow. 70 of them, right? And this, so, so part of the reason is, you know, and some of them are variations <clears throat> on that other one, right? Some are just little variations. Some of them it, it put it in context of business. Some of it put it in context of early grade school, there's, but there's 70 distinct. And the interesting thing is each one of them is associated with some type of, some type of diagnostic that you can buy. Hmm. Uh, shocker. Right. Yeah. right. So what it's saying is that learning styles has become an industry and there's big money in it. Um, and and the, the challenge, though, is that there's never really been a study or deep research study to prove learning styles, right? In order to do that, what you'd need to do is you'd need to have a test group. You'd need to teach them something. If, if their preferred learning style is visual, you'd need to teach them visually. Right. And then you'd need to teach them similar content in a different way. Right. Or, or, and then have a test group. It needs to be a very elaborate yeah. study, right? It's never been done. There's no research like that that's been done. So... So an industry has grown up around this idea, which sounds good, and I think we can all relate to it, right? Because I tend to learn some things visually. And, but, but the bigger yeah. determinant really is around what's the content, right? Can you teach, for example, something that's visual, like geometry, can you teach that just with text or just or auditory, auditory, right? right. Exactly. Yeah. Or, or, or what about literature or poetry, right? Can you teach that without reading? Can you teach that without words? Right. So a bigger determinant of the way that things should be taught is not so much this learning style thing that we're laying to rest today, but it's really around the nature of the content. Now, having said all that, the research does say that you have preferences. Right. That's right? my understanding. Yep. Yep. You, you, you might like to learn something through watching a video. But that may not be the best way for you to learn it, right? You might think, oh, okay, I'm going to watch you. So I was, as I was coming down on the train, I was thinking this morning, how many YouTube videos have I seen? And question for you, how many guys, have you guys seen? How many YouTube videos have you seen? Hundreds in the last week, and 99 of them were movie trivia showdown. But <laughs> okay, so, so but the one that of, I saw was like really helped me learn something. Of the of the thousands that you've watched, right? How many? did you really learn something from? 
is probably a much smaller number, right? Oh, yeah. So you were entertained, but you weren't necessarily educated, right? Right, yeah. Um, So so there's no evidence. Um, Content is more important to determine how it should be done. There are 70 distinct approaches. So I'm going to read a quote from Make It Stick, which is, I think, a, a great book on a lot of these topics. Here's the quote. While it's true that most of us have a decided preference for how we like to learn new material, the premise behind learning styles is that we learn better when the mode of presentation matches the the particular style in which an individual is best able to learn. That is the critical claim, but it's false. That's the key thing Mm -hmm. right there. Right. Yeah. So I think that we should, until there's some type of definitive study, I think we should lay this one to rest. Right. I agree. Well, I do wonder, okay, so let me ask this. I do wonder this, based on what you just said, is let's just say, for instance, I prefer to learn visually, Mm -hmm. which is probably pretty true. I I like to read things. That's how I learn most of the things that I learn. Well, and there's there's some science behind that, right? Because because visual can communicate a whole lot more than than words can. You can just pack a whole bunch of stuff into a visual image. So, right. So, Say it's a it's a bit of content, it's a topic yeah. that can't be taught visually, right? Or that that's not the right answer. Am I going to disengage as a learner because when I'm pursuing that subject, it's never hitting my preferred learning style? No. No. Well, think about if but if you're curious and interested of the content. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Right. right. And what will happen, We this is tying back to mental representations, right? Y- your mental representations are likely not in words. But what you do is you take words, you read them, and you create mental representations exactly. from which are visual. Right. Right. And, and that is part of the generative process. And anytime you get generative as you're learning content, it, it sticks. It's durable. And that's, that's another argument against teaching to a person person's learning preferences if it's harder for you to learn something it's often more durable right and and Mm -hmm. the path the ease path for you bob might be teach me visually whereas the harder path might be i need to read this and i need to think through it and i need to study it and as you're doing that generative and mental representation that would make it stickier it would Yeah, yeah yeah so one one more thing um and this is also another quote from make it stick on any list of differences that matter most for learning, the level of language fluency and reading ability would be at the top of the list. Hmm. <clears throat> so not learning styles, but what's your level of language fluency and what's your reading ability? Interesting. Hmm. So, so let's lay this one to rest. There's, there's uh, I'm sure, more to come. I'm sure there will at some point be some studies. Absolutely. But, yeah. um, but the, the traditional model of learning styles... It's done. So farewell, learning <laughs> styles. We hardly knew ye. The learning We knew you too over. well. We say it's over. Gentlemen, it's been great seeing you live. Yeah, I think next yeah. time we do this, we're all going to be in our own homes again. But I think so. It was great seeing you. And uh, thanks so much. Great conversation today. And we hope that you've enjoyed it. Thank you so much for tuning into the Learning Geeks podcast. We'll see you next time for Dana Koch and Jake Gittleson and myself, Bob Gerard. Sayonara. Salute. Have a good one. 